What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA podcast. My name is John, and I am your host. And we are back with another week of UFC, the sixth week in a row of UFC. We have nine straight UFC events going on. And this week, we are in Wichita, Kansas for the UFC on ESPN Plus 4 card, headlined by Junior Dos Santos versus Derek Lewis. At the end of the program, we will be recapping the UFC 235 pay-per-view that went down this past Saturday night headlined by John Jones versus Anthony Smith. But uh, starting things off this week, we are going to be analyzing, predicting, and discussing the betting odds on each and every of the UFC's 13 fights going down this weekend in Wichita, Kansas. So let's start things off in the lightweight division. We have Alex White, who is 12 and 5, taking on Dan Moret, who is 13 and 4. The betting line opened up for this one. Alex White as the minus 175 favorite to Dan Moret at plus 135. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu. Right now, we see Alex White minus 140, Dan Moret plus 120. So, line margins tightening up. I definitely agree with the line movement in this one. I think that setting uh, Alex White that high of a favorite is a little bit uh, crazy, honestly, especially after his last fight. Uh, it was a fight that he was around that same price, minus 150, minus 175, and he f- took on veteran Jim Miller in that fight. You know, I don't know what it was. It, you know, uh, Miller could have been on that night, or White could have been uh, off. It just didn't seem like he really respected uh, Jim Miller in there. Got caught with uh, a combo early. It rocked him really bad. And then after that, you know, uh, D- Jim Miller was just able to take the back and uh, get the choke on Alex White, finishing that fight up in about 90 seconds' time. So. Alex White definitely has his holes in his striking defense. You know, his uh, his take or his submission defense and his takedown defense is not very great. He, uh, you know, actually he was a little bit hard to take down against James Krause. Actually, I watched their fight pretty recently. He was a little bit uh, difficult to to get uh, taken down. But once he was on the mat, he was actually, uh, you know, looked very uncomfortable in there. It turns out he's only a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. So that's, you know, pretty low level for this uh, level of uh, MMA. He's got, you know, some decent striking. He throws a lot of power. He kind of wings punches, though, and he's not very technical on the feet. Um so he's taking on Dan Moret, who uh, you know has a, has a really great amateur career. He's actually fourteen and zero as an amateur. So that, I actually hold that uh, in pretty high regard. You know, it not only shows that a guy has a ton of experience, but he also has a lot of uh, you know IQ about him. The fact that he wants to you know rack up that amateur experience before going pro, which a lot of guys don't really utilize. But I think Dan Moret uh, really um, shines on the ground. He's got you know nice back takes. He's got nice submissions. Um, you know, he, unfortunately, he fought uh, Gilbert Burns in his first UFC fight. Uh, you know what? And it was a that's a tough task. But you know, he actually looked pretty game in that fight. He uh, he hurt Burns on the feet for a while, but he kind of rushed in the second he hurt him, with no composure, and just got taken down by Burns, who was you know, uh, a world-class grappler of his own. But then uh, the fight in the second round went back to the feet, and then Burns just viciously KO'd Dan Moret with a you know combination of punches against the cage. So, you know, uh, Gilbert Burns isn't really known for being a striker, but he was still able to knock out Moret in this one. But so, you know, if, uh, if White wins this fight, I think it'll probably be by testing that chin of Moret on the feet or possibly winning a, a decision, a, you know, a sloppy striking uh, fest. If Moret wins this fight, uh, I think that he will take uh, Alex White down. 
and at some point sync up a submission, maybe win a decision, uh, you know, with winning rounds on top. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to favor the uh, the underdog in this one uh, in uh, Dan Moret. Uh, his opening line was really good, and honestly, right now, plus 120 is not too bad. I just couldn't trust a, a dime on Alex White as a favorite. So the pick is going to be Dan Moret to get this one done by submission. Next fight in the welterweight division, we have Alex Morono, who is 15 and 15-5, taking on Zach Otto, who is 17-6. and 6. The opening betting line for this one was Alex Morono as the favorite at minus 190, Zach Otto at plus 150. Looking over at 5dimes.eu, we see Morono minus 170, Zach Otto at plus 150. So, again, line margins tightening up in this one. There's definitely two-way action coming in this fight. It's definitely a close matchup. Um, you know, we saw uh, Zach Otto in his last fight win a split decision over Dwight Grant. You know, a pretty questionable decision, if I'm being honest. You know, it was he's just got so low output, and his striking is just so mediocre. I just can't believe he won that fight, especially with how good Dwight Grant looked against Carlo Pedrozoli a few weeks ago. So, actually, that win looks pretty impressive. Uh, Zach Otto's got some good jiu-jitsu skills. He's, you know, his wrestling is not nothing special, but he's definitely solid on the ground. I'd say he's much more fluid on the ground than on the feet. Uh, you know, Alex Morono is, uh, he likes throwing first. You know, he's a, he's definitely, uh, he, he likes being on the feet. Um, you know, he's uh, another another jujitsu blue belt, uh, you know, in the UFC. So yeah, that definitely shows on the ground. He shows, you know, a uh, little bit of uh, lack of um, ground skills. And, you know, Otto's going to look to expose that in this fight. That's definitely going to be Otto's best pass at victory. Or, you know, that typical low output uh, decision um, that he goes for. But, you know, this fight will be interesting because, uh, you know, everyone's going to use that recency bias of Zach Otto's last fight against Dwight Grant where it was two counterpunchers staring at each other not really throwing much. But Alex Morono will throw first and he will give Otto the opportunity to counter, which Otto is not really bad at. You know, it's it's it surpri sounds surprising to say because he's just such a mediocre fighter. But, you know, he can do some things well. So, you know, Morono is going to be looking to throw first. He's going to be looking to spam those overhand rights. He kind of just throws wild, uh, you know, uh, strikes a lot of the time. He, he's definitely hittable. He's definitely, when he is spamming those uh, those power shots, he's definitely open to getting countered. Um, he uh, he slowed down a lot in round three of uh, of the fight that I watched him this very recently. Alex Morono, let me see which fight it was. Keenan Song, that's right. He looks really solid against Keenan Song, outstriking him in the first two rounds, but definitely slowed down in that last round he was fighting jordan Meehan, you know a, a guy who's primarily a striker but actually a very well-rounded mixed martial artist and Meehan, you know was able to take down alex moreno in that fight and hold him down he was able to get takedowns pretty easily and he was able to keep him down pretty easily so you know Otto has i think a few more paths to victory in this fight he could you know counter punch to a decision um, maybe look to test that chin of Morona, or he could try to take this fight on the ground and use his superior grappling skills in this one so you know it's a it's a very close fight but if the the odds are plus 150 for one of the fighters in a close fight, you got to go with that one. So I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to pick Zach Otto to win this fight. I don't know what method, but I'll, let's go with the submission for the hell of it. But it'll probably be a decision. Next fight in the Bantamweight division, we have Luis Smolka, who is 15-5, taking on Matt Schnell, who is 12-4. 
The betting line for this one opened up Louis Smoker as the minus 210 favorite match Chanel at plus 160 underdog. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, we see Louis Smoker minus 125, match Chanel plus 105. So a lot of action coming in on match Chanel in this one. I'm just pushing it to even money. It probably was at even money for some points, but right now, uh, we see Smoker as a small favorite in this one. It's a, uh, it's, it's very interesting. You know, I didn't really expect that line movement from uh, all, that steep line movement coming in Schnell's way, but I guess it is. You know, that where the line was set was a little bit too high to start. So I guess I see a little bit of action coming in on Schnell. But like I said, I'm very surprised with where the line sits at now. I think that uh, you know, Smoker should be a pretty decent sized favorite in this one. You know, he's just made his way back to the UFC. He was had a little bit of. A, he was in the UFC for a while. I think dropped three fights in a row when, you know, was, uh, I believe he admitted he was like an alcoholic towards the end of his uh, UFC career. And, you know, that was obviously just why he, he went 0-3, or 0-4, actually, losing to Brandon Marino, Ray Borg, Tim Elliott, and Mateus Nicolau. And, you know, not drawing any easy fights for top 15 flyweights for sure. But he, you know, uh, went outside the UFC, bounced back with a couple nice wins in 2018 and, you know, some lower-level promotions, and then got the call back to the UFC for a uh, fight in China against uh, Sumajari, which he looked, you know, very good in that fight. He, he uh, you know, won that fight via arm. Uh, you know he's a uh, Louis Smoke is always going to be looking for subs. He can he can attack you from guard. He can you know take your back and get you. He uh, you know he's really he's a really gifted submission grappler. He's he uh, you know he's not the type of guy who's looking to get on top and you know win rounds and you know win with a little bit of ground and pound. He's looking to you know just finish. He's looking to dive on guillotines or dive on whatever submissions you know, which is it, it can be it can be uh, you know a problem sometimes if he's facing a high level grappler and he goes for a low level submission or a low success submission he uh you know could end up uh, paying for that with getting submission or getting submitted or getting knocked out himself but i don't really think that chanel poses those threats in this one i think that uh smoke is going to look to you know clinch up he really likes uh, clinching he loves scrambling going for takedowns being in those fast paced exchanges like the flyweights do these guys aren't these guys are both former flyweights but we're forced to move up to bantamweight because the ufc is closing the flyweight division but, um, you know, Matt Schnell is a very solid fighter of his own. He's got really nice boxing. He's got fast hands. I'd say he's got pretty solid defense, too. Um, you know, he's got good footwork. You know, his striking is actually really, really well. Or excuse me, he's really good. I, I read the word well as I said that. So uh, what I was going to say is he doesn't do well against a jab. We saw that. Uh, you know, let's see who Matt Schnell's fight, who, uh, who he didn't do well against a jab. Um, anyway, yeah, I think it was anyway. Um you know, he lost that fight, or no, excuse me, he won that fight via split decision to Inouye, I thought he won that fight pretty comfortably, but, uh, you know, anyway was causing uh, Schnell some problems with that jab, just, you know, constantly popping it out in his face, but, uh, you know, Matt Schnell, uh, we've seen him lose via choke to uh, Tim Elliott, a very skilled grappler, we've seen him get knocked out by Rob Font, you know, a very powerful puncher, and then the his, probably his worst loss is to Hector Sandoval, where he was, you know, uh, a very close fight, back and forth fight, and he was uh, just put on bottom and just uh, TKO'd by some some really weak ground and pound. You go back and watch that, and it looked like some some pitter patter shots that just put him out, and you know, it was really really surprising. So, so uh, honestly, I think that uh, this Schnell's chin is, you know, a little weak. I would definitely say. Uh, even though the good thing he has good defense, because I think that that will, you know, protect him a little bit in, in, from his uh, chin. 
being an issue but you know he i just think he doesn't have good awareness on the ground if you watch that fight against tim Elliott, he just looked very uncomfortable he looked desperate to get up to the feet and then that's eventually how he got submitted so uh you know and that was a fight where he was facing a very high level submission grappler like tim Elliott, and you know he could be he's doing that again in this fight so um you know look for machinelle to make a make a a, a small mistake on, on the feet or on the ground, and uh, Smoke will capitalize, take him down, uh, get that dominant position, maybe give him some ground and pound. He's got solid ground and pound, and uh, either you know TKO him with ground and pound, or uh, force himself to give up, uh, give up his back, or go for a submission. But the pick is going to be Smoke in this one. I'm honestly at minus one twenty-five. Uh, I uh, that's a pretty good price, even though the you know I think that. Betting favorites in between minus 100 and minus 200 is just a recipe for disaster for some reason. I just have terrible luck with it. But, you know, at the price right now, Smolka is definitely definitely the play. Um, next fight in the heavyweight division, we have Maurice Green, who is 6-2, taking on Jeff Hughes, who is 10-1. The betting line for this one opened up. Jeff Hughes as the favorite at minus 150. Maurice Green as the underdog at plus 110. Since then, a lot of money coming in on Jeff Hughes, pushing him down to minus 225 to Maurice Green at plus 185. So this fight is a rematch. It did happen back in LFA, uh, you know, just... Uh, Wow, just less than a year ago, April 27th, 2018, that fight took place. And, uh, you know, I didn't have didn't have any luck finding it. You know, it is in LFA. Uh, I wasn't able to, um, you know, find a, a stream for it. It was a five-round fight, you know, and uh, Jeff Hughes won that fight. You know, I, uh, I, I honestly um, have no idea, like, how it went or anything like that. I really should have looked into it a little more, considering that the fact that they fought less than a year ago is, you know, probably a pretty, uh, pretty easy indicator of how the the next fight's going to go but you know matt um hughes he uh you know trains with steep a out in cleveland you know that's training partners don't get much better than that he uh he fought a guy uh josh apelt something like that uh uh, Apelt on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series and, you know, made made pretty quick work of him. He was able to defend uh, Apelt's shots pretty well in that fight and then was able to uh, stop him later in the first round. Uh, I'd say he's uh yeah he's he's got the ability to hit his own takedowns too you know I believe he took down a pelt and then grounded uh ground and pounded him out for the finish in that one but Hughes is you know pretty solid all around he's got solid striking uh solid um boxing defense he's you know pretty pretty solid defensively he's got good body kicks as well for being a big guy but Maurice Green he, I think that uh he was he's definitely the better grappler in this fight. Uh, you know, he's very good off he's very good off his back. He's uh, you know, submitted Cuban Olympic wrestler, um what's that guy's name? Batista. Michel Batista or something like that. Um, yeah, uh, you know, Batista former Olympic wrestler took him down, but Green was able to slap on a triangle right away and uh, you know, uh, was able to end that fight via submission. So uh the one thing that's uh, worrisome about Maurice Green is that he got blasted and dropped by Juan Espino, who is, you know, typically a grappler. I think that what actually happened in that fight is he was so worried about the takedown, he he forgot about the striking of Espino, and then was able, we just got absolutely blasted. And then, um, you know, he was tough to finish. He took a lot, a lot of shots, 
and uh, eventually did get finished via submission by Espino, but he did not go out easily. He's definitely got a chin on him. He ate a massive shot and was still not put away. Was actually a follow-up with some ground and pound, too, and it still didn't TKO him. So Maurice has definitely got a chin on him. Uh, so you know, uh, Green has also got some. He's also got some uh, a power left hand. He's he's pretty uh, pretty huge on the feet, man. This guy is a massive massive heavyweight. He's gotten uh, good kicks and good knees too, man. If you watch Maurice Green, I think he fought on the uh, the Tuesday Night Contender series. He absolutely butchered a guy. Um, let me let me figure out this poor gentleman's name. Maybe it wasn't the the Contender series. It was actually on the Ultimate Fighter. He knocked out a gentleman named uh, Missalia. Just an absolutely vicious, vicious knockout. So, you know, I'm slacking a little bit without watching the original first fight of these gentlemen less than a year ago. Uh, honestly, I imagine uh, Hughes was able to, uh, you know, outstrike, um, uh, uh, say, you know, stay technical and outstrike uh, Green on the feet. And then he was able to, you know, hit takedowns and stay clear of any submission attempts. And uh, was able to, you know, stay on top and win rounds. So, um, you know, don't take my word uh, too clearly on this one because, like I said, I was not able to, to uh, find their original first fight in LFA. But, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I like to think that uh, I like to think that Maurice Green uh, had made the necessary adjustments. You know, like I said, that that, that triangle uh, victory over uh batista was very impressive and his striking against that masalia guy looked you know extremely good so i'm gonna pick a green to make the uh to get the upset in this one and uh you know cash in is that plus 185 dog so moving on to the ben or excuse me the featherweight division we have grant dawson who is 12 and 1 taking on julian arosa who is 22 and 12 the betting line for this one opened up Dawson as the minus 185 favorite, Arosa as the plus 145 dog. Right now we see Dawson at minus 175, Arosa at plus 155. So two-way action coming in on this fight. Uh, you know, Erosa, man, this guy had a pretty bad outing in his last fight. He took on, what's that gentleman's name? He uh, just fucked somebody up on just really recently i'm uh, devonte smith uh devonte smith absolutely bodied uh julian arosa in their last fight you know he uh arosa just came out there leaning his 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 chin forward you know he he fought with his you know his face leaning forward and was just throwing really reckless strike and marching forward and he absolutely just ate a one two to put him out cold his striking defense is pretty bad. His chin is pretty bad. He's been knocked out by through through Ishihara and Artem Lobov. You know, guys who are notoriously known for not being too hard hitters. You know, definitely solid solid strikers. But you know, like I said, it's just not the run. They're kind of known for their lack of power. But uh, you know, Arosa, he's got nice kicks. He's got you know, he's got a good teep kick he can throw. A good nice front push kick. But uh, you know, just something about uh, you know something about the way he fights. He fights a lot more desperate than he did uh, a couple years ago. You know, you watch him in the Uf his first UFC run a few years ago. And he's a little more patient, a little more technical. Now he just fights like he's you know just trying to get out of there as quick as possible and just get that first round knockout. So that you know. Uh, that's not going to be good for him in this fight. He has been knocked out for, uh, once a year for four years in a row, has Julian Arosa. So that's, 
you know, a, a pretty worrisome statistic. His opponent, Grant Dawson, is, you know, he looks pr uh, really solid. He also a Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series guy. He's, you know, he's coming out there. He's looking for the takedown. He's not really looking to screw around on the feet too much. He's looking to close that distance. Uh, you know, he's got very solid wrestling. He's got good uh, ground and pound. And he's got really good submissions as well, too. So, uh you know, the only area that Dawson is not solid is sometimes he's a little desperate shooting for a takedown. Sometimes he he sometimes he sets his takedowns up nice. He disguises it behind a couple punches. Sometimes he doesn't. So those times where he doesn't is where you're going to look for Erosa to capitalize and, you know, possibly land that knockout blow on Dawson. He's going to... Uh, you know, Dawson, if he if he comes in for a sloppy double leg, look for a Rosa to, you know, counter with a, a knee, flying knee, or, uh, you know, a kick, and uh, look to test that Shannon Dawson. The only time Dawson has lost in his career was when he was going for a takedown, and he uh, was hit with some of those, uh, those Travis Brown elbows behind the ear, and that, you know, put him out in that fight, so... One thing Dawson does really nice is he uses his ground and pound to advance position. So he'll hit, hit you with a couple shots and pass your guard, and then he'll hit you with a couple shots, get mount, hit you with a couple shots, and then get your back and sub you. So he, he looks really solid on the ground, looks a really good wrestler, and, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, Orosa's ground game, I'd say, is a little bit unknown. We don't really see him on the ground too much. I'm sure he has been in his career, but I personally don't think I have ever seen him on the ground. So it's a little bit of an unknown, but I just, you know, with just how much of a, a, a flake Orosa is and how low-skilled he is, I'm just going to trust Dawson. I'm trusting the guy with the momentum coming behind him who's looked really, really solid on the ground. And I think that uh, Dawson will get this one uh, done via submission. So the pick is going to be Dawson. Next fight in the women's bantamweight division, we have Yana Kunitskaya, who is 11-4, taking on Marion Renau, who is 9-4-1. The betting line for this one opened up Kunitskaya as the minus-150 favorite, Renau at plus-110. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, right now we see Kunitskaya at minus-175, Renau at plus-155. So more action coming in Kunitskaya's way, I believe rightfully so in this one. Actually, no, I'm going to disagree with that. Where the line sets out right now is a little bit too high. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I'd say a medium level skill uh, uh, women's MMA fight. You know, Kunitskaya, she's got, she's, you know, well-rounded, I'd say. She just doesn't do anything too spectacular. You know, she's got decent striking. She's got decent takedown, decent top control. But you know, there's just no area of where she excels. I guess her strength would be her, her grappling. She likes taking you down, uh, you know, getting on top and winning rounds that way. She also can like, you know, grinding you out, leaning you against the, the fence, going for that clinch. And, you know, just making it a grinding type of fight. But Kunitz guy, you know, she, her, her striking is just it's super sloppy, man. She, she just doesn't throw anything with crisp technique. It's just all spammed out there, you know. Renal, you know, I'm not saying she's the most technical girl at ever, but she definitely throws with a lot more Ill, Ill intent on the feet. She's got a she's got a pretty solid right hand, man. She floors bitches with that right hand. Uh, you know, Sarah McMahon, for instance, you know, McMahon um, was able to take her down and, you know, smash Renal in round one. Then Renal came back in round two and, you know, rocked McCann with a punch and then eventually uh, was... Uh, Tri triangled her in that uh that second round i'll give 
Renow this. That that triangle was lucky, man. She got t taken down, you know, by Olympic level wrestler in McCann, and it was just a really explosive takedown. And when they landed, Renow's arm or Renow's leg happened to be on top of McMahon's shoulders, you know, just in the perfect triangle position. And, you know, McMahon just didn't recognize it, did not assess, uh, assess it as a threat, and then just let herself sit too long in that triangle position, where Renau was able to lock up that triangle and get that finish after, you know, getting 10 aided in round one. So that was a really impressive victory. You know, uh, unfortunately, since then, Renau took on Katz and Ghana, was just taken down in that fight relentlessly. You know, didn't really have much takedown defense, didn't really have much get up in that fight. And, you know, uh, Zingano was just able to dictate that fight wherever wherever uh, it went. Um, you know, I guess Renal uh, probably got the better of the striking exchanges, honestly. But, you know, the, I believe Zingano won the fight 30-27. So, Renal is, uh, you know, going to have to, she's, you know... She's, her just takedown defense is, is just bad, you know, so she uh, just, you know, is unable to keep distance. It's just like not in her in her nature to, to keep fights at distance. She just wings punches and ends up really close. So, you know, Kunitskaya is not the most dominant wrestler, not the strongest girl, not the most, you know, heavy top pressure, not the most lethal uh, submission artist. So I think that uh, I think that right now will be safe enough on the ground to, you know, uh, so, you know, make this fight competitive. I think that, you know, Kunitskaya will get takedowns and will end up on top, but I don't think that Kunitskaya will be able to keep her down. I think that if this fight uh, ends up on the feet, I think that Renau will be able to land those couple hard right hands and, you know, rock Kunitskaya. But, uh, you know, this is just a really close fight. You know, it's uh, I don't have a strong lean. I wouldn't be confident picking either woman. But, you know, the fact that it's a close fight and one of them, one of the women is plus 155, I've got, I got to sign with the side with the dog in this one. So um, I'm going to go with Marion Renau to get it done and probably by decision in this one. Next fight, I believe uh, my favorite matchup on the card Actually, I mean, we got a couple solid matchups. Uh, I don't think we've had one yet. Uh, no, Schnell and Smolko is pretty good. But, my, uh, you know, this fight really stuck out to me as one of the best in the car. We got Anthony Rocco Martins, who is 15-4, taking on Sergio Marais, who is 14-3-1. The betting line for this one opened up. Tony Martin at the as the minus 210 favorite to Marais at plus 160. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, we see Martin at minus Minus 220, Marias at plus 180. So uh, interesting when the betting line is set. Um, you know, even though I like uh, Tony Martin in this fight, I think that that plus 180 uh, next to Marias's name is you know it's tempting. Um, you know these this is just uh, you know it's not too close of a fight. I believe that Mar Tony Martin should definitely be the favorite. It's just that Marias has a path to victory. He definitely does. So, uh, we'll start things off with Martin, you know, Martin has just looked, you know, he, if he's been in the UFC for a while and he just looks like a different fighter, the past couple fights, you know, he, we see, we saw him come out against Ryan Flair, look incredible, you know, was able to stuff shots, was able to, you know, get back to his feet, was able to threaten with submissions, was able to, you know, do punishment on the feet and then eventually got the knockout victory over ryan laflair uh, he also had a solid uh, decision victory over kita nakamura 
And, uh, you know, most recently picking up that Anaconda choke over Jake Matthews, arguably his most uh, impressive win to date, you know, a fight he was losing. I think he was losing 2-0 on a couple people's scorecards. You know, I think I think I remember the fight being 1-1. Um, but, you know, that, uh, you know, that fight, Mar Tony Martin did win the fight. He just didn't fight too smart. You know, he was really content to have wild uh, striking exchanges with uh, Jake Matthews on the on the feet in that fight. And he, he definitely got rocked by some of his shots. You know, that's why he lost those uh, first two rounds, because I think that Matthews was uh, landing the better shots. You know, it was, I believe, in Australia and, you know, Matthews being an Australian. Uh, it could also have not been an Australian. I could be talking shit. No, it was in Australia. Um, so, you know, that might have had a little bit of a favorite in it, but good thing Martin ended up getting it finished in the third round. Martin has just got, you know, wicked submissions, man. He's a black belt on the ground. We've seen him, you know, defend chokes. He, he, he defended very well against uh, Oliver. Olivier Aubin Mercier. Um, the only times we've seen him really outclassed, uh, or, uh, we've seen him, uh, you know, he lost to Machine Magomedov. Uh, and was uh, tapped out by Leo Santos and Benil Darius. So even though he's got, you know, wicked submissions, he's black belt on the ground, he does lose to those super high-level black belts uh, like Darius and Santos, which is where this fight gets interesting because Sergio Moraes is a high-level black belt. You know, he he's competed, uh, he's a world champion uh, in, uh, in jiu-jitsu, and he's also, you know, sh showed really good jiu-jitsu skills in MMA. So, you know... Uh, a great example of that is his last fight against Ben Saunders. You know, Ben Saunders, you know, this is where I, why exactly why I said this plus 180 price tag is, is is intriguing because Ben Saunders, an American black belt, very solid submission guy, has a lot of submissions in the UFC. He took on Sergio Moraes and he ended up in a jiu-jitsu battle. He ended up in a guard passing fight where it was just a grueling grinding type of guard passing, you know, high level jiu-jitsu type of stuff. You know, where Rocco Martin shines is mixing it up, mixing up this, the striking with the, the take you know, takedown defense. He, he'll threaten with the submission and or he'll, you know, he'll be taken down and he'll use a submission or use a Kimura or something like that to get back to his feet. He's very good with that type of stuff. But if it comes to, you know, a guard passing fight with Sergio Marais, man, I favored Marais in that type of fight. Uh, but you know it's not it, that's not the end all be all of this fight. I, it sh it's going to be very hard for for Marias to get Martin on his back. Marias does not have good takedowns. He he really pulls guard a lot, and you know even when he pulls guard, he you know it, it doesn't look too successful with it. You know we saw him against Tim Means. We saw him against. Um, Zach Otto, both guys, or he was able to get them down on the canvas, whether it was from takedowns or pulling guard, and both of those gentlemen were be able, able to get back to their feet, and he was not able to, you know, get off any grappling, so, like I said, it's not, once Marias gets the fight to the floor, it's not end-all, be-all, but I think that, um... You know, it's. I think that the 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 grappling exchanges will definitely be favored by Marais. The, the striking exchanges are massively. Did you hear that? Massively favored by Tony Martin in this one. Marais's striking is garbage. He, uh, you know, he's got a pretty weak shin. He was knocked out by Kamara Usman, the only person I think Usman is knocked out in the UFC. Um, you know, he's, he's got terrible defense, terrible defense, terrible footwork. He's got, 
you know, sloppy boxing. He wings punches. He's open for counters. You know, it's just... It's a, it's a damn shame. Um, you see that in that fight against Tim Means, a fight uh, that Marias was in Brazil, his home country, Brazil. He was, you know, winging nasty punches, you know, not not the good type of nasty. You know, just terrible sloppy punches. The commentators were, oh, oh, Marias hurt him. You slow down those exchanges, and every one of those punches bounced off of uh, Tim Means' arms, you know, or Tim Means uh, was evaded the shots. You know, Marias landed maybe five hard punches the whole fight, and you would have think that he was dominating the fight by the way the commentators judged it. You know, it was just a really weird fight. You know, towards the end of the fight, Paul Felder started saying, oh, I don't know, I think these shots are bouncing off of Means' arms. I was like, dude, they were doing that the entire fight. You know, they keep, re they were referring, uh, they were referencing it the entire time. They're like, oh, uh, he had a lot of success in round one. I think this fight is 1-1. I'm like, dude. You are talking out of your ass right now, getting this totally distorted view of this fight. Who knows? Maybe the maybe the judges heard him because the judges somehow gave that fight a split decision victory to, to Sergio Marais. I think Tim Means won that fight three rounds to zero. I think that was one of the most egregious robberies uh, of the past couple years in MMA. So, you know, uh, Tim Means, you know, won that fight. No doubt about it. So, um, you know, this fight's going to be very interesting. If the fight stays on the floor, if Marias is not able to get Martin uh, on his back, I think Martin wins. If Martin is on his back, I think that Marias, you know, turns this into that, that guard passing type battle. Passes his guard and submits him. You know, you watch that fight with uh, Tony Martin versus Leonardo Santos. Leonardo Santos, high-level black belt. Martin won the first round of that fight. The second round, he got taken down, ended up in that guard-passing type of scenario, and Santos blew through his guard, mounted him, and choked him in 30 seconds. You know, it was an impressive, impressive victory. But that that was the old Martin. That was lightweight Martin from a couple years ago. He took that fight on short notice. He took it in Brazil. You know, this it's going to be a, a whole different story this time. He's much, much improved. He's got a better team, better camp, better coaches at a higher weight class. And, you know, he's got the sideburns now, and he's uh, he's fucking Kayla Harrison now. So, you know, the dude's got the swagger. And I'm picking my man, Tony Sideburns Martin, to get the, the knockout victory over Sergio Marais in this one. Next fight in the middleweight division, moving up to the main card, we have Tim Boach, who is... 21 and 12 taking on Omari Akhmedov who is 17 4 and 1. The betting line for this one opened up uh Akhmedov as the favorite at minus 230. Wow. Boach as the plus 170 underdog looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes.eu we see Akhmedov at minus 135 Boach at plus 115 so a lot of money coming in on Boach's way I definitely don't disagree with it I think where the line is set at now is a little more accurate to you know minus 230 for Akhmedov that's crazy but you know this is this is a close fight you know we have a uh, you know, two two former welterweights. You know, both moved up to middleweight in this one. Uh, you know, Akhmedov is a you know a short, stocky guy. He's you know very muscular. He's a wrestler, and uh, Boach is you know a, a longer, stockier, thicker guy. Um, way less athletic. Um, you know, Boach is just a weird type of fighter, man. He's been in the UFC for a while. He's, you know, had some good wins, had some bad wins for sure. He's, uh, you know, one thing that is very worrisome about this fight is on interviews, 
Boach is talking about how he uh, just started a new business and he started discussing with his family and friends about when it's time to retire. And he talked about, yeah, the new business is going great. He, you know, is thinking about just investing all of his time into that. Well, if you're thinking about that shit as you're about to get in, you know, a fist fight with Omari Akhmedov, that is bad, bad news. I'm not saying it's the end all be all of this fight. I'm not saying Boach has no chance because he certainly does. But that's just not what you want to hear coming from Boats. You know, uh, Akhmedov is coming off of a, a little bit of a long layoff in this one. I think he had a little bit of a USADA problem. Who knows, though? Um, and uh, so he his fight with Marvin Vittori, that was his most recent fight. That was all the way back in December of 2017. He gassed quick in that fight. He had early success. He, uh, you know, 10-8'd uh, Vittori in the first round for sure. He just throws power in every strike, man. This guy wants to knock your head off with every strike. Uh, and despite that, you know, he doesn't really have too many knockouts, I don't think. Um, let me let me check this just to, just to make sure I'm not completely making this up. But, uh, you know, that, that gas tank of, of uh, Omari is definitely his biggest problem. Yeah, you know, not very many knockouts. Definitely, uh, I don't think he has any in the UFC. Yeah, no, no, he has a TKO via injury, but no knockouts. Uh, oh no, he has one over uh, back in 2013. So, you know, he he's fought some very stiff competition. Uh, he actually has a win, a split decision win over uh, Abdul Rak, uh, Razak Hassan, uh, which you know looks pretty good. That dude's been uh, you know tearing up the division uh, as of late. So, you know that uh, that he he uh, Omar. Akhmedov, he, he was very tough in that Vittori fight. He gassed out and was getting beat up really bad by Vittori, but was able to help hold off, not get finished, and uh, stick it out to the scorecards where that fight was eventually ruled a draw. Um, you know, he... Uh, uh, Akhmedov can definitely get caught with some submissions in the grappling exchanges. You know, he is a wrestler, uh, you know, throughout his career. The wrestlers are not too acclimated to the submissions. So sometimes when he goes for the submissions, he leaves himself a little bit open for, um, or excuse me, sometimes when he goes for the takedowns, he leaves himself open for submissions. We saw that against Marvin Vittori. He got caught in a couple close subs in that fight, but was, you know, uh, eventually not, uh, not submitted. But, um, you know, getting over to Tim Boach, he, uh, he has, he's, uh, been submitted by a couple high-level black belts in, uh, in his most recent fights, Antonio Carlos Jr. and Jacare. He's, uh, you know, he's, but he's tough to, he's tough to take down. And he's tough to knock out. He's got a really good chin. He's, you know, tough as nails. You know, you can go back and watch that Yushino Kami fight from years ago, one of the greatest comebacks in UFC history, where he was just absorbing a ton, a ton of punishment, but. He just refused to quit and eventually got the knockout in the third round. But that's practically a different fighter at this point. I mean, Boach, that was, you know, 10 years ago or something like that. Right now, you know, he throws, you know, he throws some wild power strikes. He throws, you know, a lot of wild hooks, man. He'll just tuck his chin and throw bombs without much technique. He's got some, he's got some good t kicks, good, uh, you know, body kicks, good leg kicks. But the one problem that I think is going to be uh, the biggest deciding factor in this fight is leg kicks. Omari Akhmedov whips leg kicks, man. You watch that Marvin, Marvin Vittori fight. He he hit Vittori with some thunderous leg kicks. And Tim Boach does not do well with checking leg kicks at all. So, you know, we saw that in the T Antonio Carlos Jr. fight. He was getting chewed up by leg kicks. The commentators even said, you know, that's something that the... the uh, juniors camp definitely studied because Boach has notoriously not defended leg kick. So look for that one to be a factor in this one. You know, look for you know Omari to be blasting that leg and you know throwing those hard shots. And you know, like I said, even though Boach is hard to knock out, 
Akhmedov throws with some serious intent. Um, so I, you know, I just gotta, I gotta side with the guy who's, I think, more devoted to fighting at this time. He's, you know, coming off that suspension. He's looking to make a, make a statement, getting back in the the middleweight division. Boats, you know, like he's got one foot out, foot out the door. I'm not saying a win would completely surprise me because he has, uh, you know, pulled out a lot of victories as the underdog with his back against the fence before. But, you know, I just, you know, hearing that stuff about him, you know, having a lot else going on on the horizon and hearing him thinking about retirement before this fight is just, you know, something you really don't want to hear. Um, so the pick is going to be Akhmedov to get this one done. Honestly, I'm going to go by knockout uh, early. So um, moving on to the lightweight division. We have Benil Daryush, who is 15-4-1, taking on Drew Dober, who is 20-8. The betting line for this one opened up Daryush as the favorite at minus 185, Dober as the plus 145 dog. We see Daryush now at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu. We see Daryush minus 200, Dober up to plus 170 in this one. So I'm going to agree with the line movement, a little more action coming in on Daryush's way. Um, you know, Dober is, uh, I'd say, I'd, I wouldn't say this is a striker versus grappler matchup, but, you know, Dober is, uh, you know, much more comfortable on the feet. I'd say that, you know, he's not terrible on the ground. He can hit his own takedowns. Uh, he can, you know, remain top in top position. But, uh, you know, some I, I don't think his sub-defense is that great, and I don't think his awareness is too solid on the ground. Uh, and, you know, that is something he's going to have to be super, super careful about. He's taking on a high-level black belt in Benil Daryush. Um, yeah, you just saw that fight against Oben uh, Mercier with Dober. He was just, you know, he was very reckless on the ground. He tried exploding out of positions, and o uh, OAM just didn't let him get up and was able to get mound and was able to, you know, choke him out. He, he's also... Uh, Lost via submission to Efrain Esquedero. Um, you know, lost to Leandro Silva via submission. Was, you know, uh, outgrappled by Nick Hine. Um, you know, so the Drew Dober's Achilles heel has definitely been the grappling and the submissions in his past. And like I said, taking on a extremely high-level black belt in Benil Daryush. You know, Benil Daryush in his last fight was taking on uh, a world uh, jiu-jitsu world champion in Thiago Moises. And I honestly was picking Moises in that fight. I was thinking, I, I was saying before that fight, there's going to be a difference between a world champion black belt and, you know, a typical black belt, you know, a one who's in MMA. And in that fight, I realized that I was totally wrong. And it is, there is a difference, and it's an MMA black belt. A, one, a guy who knows how to use his black belt integrated with MMA is much, much more dangerous than a, a jiu-jitsu world champion black belt. And, you know, you just saw Do Darius in that one just completely outclassed Diago Moises in that fight, uh, mo mostly with grappling, which is clinching him up, you know, kneeing him, taking him down, getting position, you know, actually took his back, went for a couple, uh, you know, submission attempts in this one. You know, Darius is, is, you know, I say this a lot, you know, one of the best jiu-jitsu guys in the UFC, but one of the, I'd say he's probably the most underrated jiu-jitsu guy in the UFC. He's just, his grappling is just so high level, man. It's a, you know, uh, it's a beauty to watch. You know, uh, Daryush, uh, he's also got some striking as well. You know, he's got a he's got a solid jab. He's got solid uh, body kick. He's, a, you know, a pretty nasty southpaw. He's been working with Rafael Cordero for the past couple years. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, uh, that that's really uh, strengthened his, his striking. 
Uh, you know, his, his Darius's striking defense is not as always his best. You know, he definitely got caught by Alex Hernandez, knocked out last year, and, uh, you know, got a uh, flying need by Edson Barboza, looking for the takedown in that fight, a fight that he was winning. But, uh, you know, something something of note, you know, both of uh, both of uh, Benil Darius has fought in March of the past two years, and he lost both those fights by knockout. Uh, while looking pretty good the rest of the year, so man, maybe uh, maybe March isn't uh, the Benil Darius's month, but no, all jokes aside, uh, you know Dober is um, his his striking is good. He's very aggressive. Uh, the only thing is he just eats a lot of punches. You know, you saw that in the Frank Camacho fight. He's very he's very content to eat a couple to to land a couple. So that's not always the best thing, especially if you're fighting a very technical guy who fights behind a jab and Darius who could be jabbing you and uh you know those leg kicks are definitely going to come into play in this one because dober does not check leg kicks very much uh, you know saw that in the oam fight oam was whipping leg kicks and Dar dober couldn't really do much about it so you know you look and look for uh, Daryush to be constantly pressing forward you know uh, i think that Daryush will actually be really competitive on the feet even though i can give a slight edge to dober on the feet and Daryush will just uh, be country miles ahead of drew dober on the ground um you know even though dober is solid on the ground so you know this fight uh i think the daryush will win it uh you know probably via decision uh probably with you know a mixture of you know uh clinching and you know working for takedowns top control maybe getting the back looking for submissions i think that he'll win this one by decision and uh you know minus 200 favorite if playing uh favorites are your thing that i think the daryush is a actually a pretty safe safe favorite in this one Moving on to the heavyweight division, we have the return of Ben Rothwell, who is 36 and 10, taking on Blagoy Ivanov, who is 16 and 2. The betting line for this one opened up Ben Rothwell as the minus 110 underdog to Ivanov as the minus 130 favorite. So both fighters open up as, you know, uh, minus money in this one. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes, we see. Ivanov at minus 125, Rothwell at plus 105. I believe uh, Ivanov actually sunk down to, uh, yeah, minus 130 at some points, but, uh, you know, right now hovering around minus 125. Uh, mm, interesting, very interesting. Like I said, the return of Ben Rothwell in this one coming off a three-year layoff. Mostly due to USADA, I think. I don't really, you know, I, I guess it was a doping suspension. I'm not sure if it was, you know, tainted supplement or whatever. I mean, the dude had a total dad bod gut, you know. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe his uh, st steroids were just, you know, a little bit uh, undercover. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, who knows with USADA at all? So, uh, you know, Rothwell, really, really interesting style of fighting. He, he, he kind of stands there and likes to lure you in. He, he puts his hands up in the air and just kind of floats his hands, uh, in like, uh, you know, just in a really awkward manner, you know, not really like, uh, too solid defensive. He's just kind of floating his hands out there in front of his face. Just, you know, it's, it's almost like he's luring you into doing something stupid. He's definitely looking to counter punch. He, uh, you know, he sometimes he'll blitz forward with his own com uh, combination, but uh, most of the time he's looking to counter. He so if you know there's a minute of the fight, he'll look to counter for 50 seconds, and then if nothing happened in that last 50 seconds, then he'll blitz you for the last 10 seconds and throw a bunch of punches. 
So his style is a little bit unpredictable. Sometimes he'll lean back and, you know, try to draw you into that counter. Sometimes he'll blitz you. So, you know, Rothwell's also got nasty chokes, man. You know, we've seen him tap out some high-level grapplers. Like Josh Josh Barnett is a high-level black belt. He's, you know, submitted Dean Lister, one of the best submission grapplers, heavyweight submission grapplers of all time. Darius, or, uh, Barnett has submitted him. And Rothwell was able to choke out Barnett in the UFC with that front choke, man. He, you shoot for a takedown on Rothwell, he will snatch your neck. Nast, very, very nasty chokes from uh, Ben Rothwell in this one. But I don't think he's got to be too worried about the shots in this one. He's taken on Blagoy Ivanov, who is primarily a boxer. I don't think I've ever seen him shoot for a takedown. I'm going to be honest, I've seen little footage of Ivanov at all besides his fight with uh, Junior Dos Santos, which was just, you know, uh, I would call it a low-intensity boxing match. You know, that fight was, you know, I think almost contested entirely on the feet. And it was just, you know, um, JDS looking a little more technical, a little quicker, and, you know, just throwing a little more volume in that fight. You know, Ivanov had a really underwhelming debut coming over from World Series of Fighting. He's definitely looking to counterpunch. He puts his back against the cage. He's got... I think it's decent technique, but man, sometimes I think he, he wings punches. Sometimes I think his defense is a little bit suspect. And I don't think he really has much power for being a heavyweight, which he's going to need to, uh, you know, get the respect of, of Rothwell in this one. So, man, you know, and, and Ivanov is a short, stocky guy. Rothwell is a tall, lanky, long guy. I mean, he's all, not lanky. He's, he's very thick. He's, you know, a huge uh wide guy but he's i think rothwell will probably have like something like eight inches of reach or something like that in this fight let me let's 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 pull up the statistics on this one because you know uh, for a guy ivanov who's gonna need to rely on his technical striking he, he's going to be at a massive disadvantage with how long rothwell is in this one yep seven inch reach advantage for for rothwell in this one i think that's gonna play huge huge factors i think rothwell is gonna be throwing that leg kick um of his that he likes a lot and looking to pick ivanov a feet uh, uh apart at the feet i think he's gonna be you know hungry for that win coming off of that usada he hasn't gotten you know paid in three years he's gonna be looking to you know get come back to the ufc collect that win bonus collect maybe a knockout of the night and you know get back in the cage soon so i think that honestly rothwell has a good chance of finishing ivanov in this one even though ivanov is you know uh you know tough to finish he's got solid defense he's got a good chin I don't know, man, I, but Rothwell has just a crazy way of finishing people sometime, and I think that that's what he's going to do in this fight. So the pick is going to be Rothwell to come back in, in fashion and get the knockout win uh, versus Ivanov. Possibly even a choke, you know. The, the guy's got uh, can finish you from the ground or the feet, so the pick is going to be Rothwell. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division, where we have Nico Price, who is 12-2, taking on Tim Means, who is 28-10-1. The betting line for this one opened up Tim Means as the minus 115 underdog. Nico Price is the one, minus 125 favorite. Holy shit. First time seeing that opening line for me. Tim Means right now minus 210 on five dimes. Price at plus 175. So a massive line movement coming in on Tim Means. Somehow he opened the underdog in this one. You know, it could could be a line error or something like that. But, you know, judging by the sound of it, I do favor Tim Means uh, in this fight. You know, Tim Means has got really solid boxing. You know, not solid boxing. He's got good boxing. He's got a solid ground game. 
you know, his, his boxing defense is good. He's got high outputs. He throws a lot of jabs. He, you know, is, uh, you know, throws a lot of leg kicks. He's got good ground and pound, man. You know, there's, it's hard to find uh, some things that, uh, that Tim means do wrong. He's a very, very well-rounded fighter. You know, as I mentioned earlier, his, you know, most recent loss coming to Sergio Moraes was a highway robbery. You know, he, I believe he won that fight three rounds to zero versus Sergio Moraes. You know, he was, uh, you know, I believe dropped and finished by Alex Oliveira uh, sometime around last year. I don't even really remember that fight. Um, you know, he also lost a split decision to Bilal Muhammad. But, you know, uh, Tim Means, you know, he, he's just a very, very talented fighter. I think his boxing would definitely be his his best attribute. He, uh, you know, has got some of the best technical boxing in the UFC, honestly. You know, Nico Price is, you know, he's a heavy hitter as well. He's got solid boxing. He throws, you know, he just throws a power a lot more. You know the biggest the biggest uh, difference between their striking is you know means just thinks about defense so much more. Price does not, man. He Price will blitz you with you know crazy powerful combinations and just not care about defense at all. You saw that in the Abdul Razak Hassan fight where he just got absolutely brutally finished in that fight in a firefight. You know he seemed like he he hit uh, Al Hassan with some uh, hard shots, but just got too uh, overzealous to. Uh, excited about the fact he might have hurt his opponent and then was eventually finished himself but you know nico price is uh you know he's also got a pretty solid ground game i think their ground games will honestly kind of cancel each other out uh you know they both got uh they both got solid submissions uh both got good, some decent wrestling as well these guys are pretty evenly matched you know i just think that's where it's going to come down to is just the technique of means on the feet will will be enough to uh to pick price apart throughout uh you know these these uh the striking exchanges the one thing about you know price man is on the ground he's just he, he finds a way man sometimes he sometimes he can be sloppy going for a takedown he, he just finds a way to reverse position or finds a way to you know threaten with a sub or get some ground and pound you know we saw in his last fight with um randy brown man he knocked him out from the bottom with hammer fists from the guard you know one of the most unconventional weirdest knockouts we've ever seen but it was effective and he you know he's got that power man he's got power in his hands and even if he's you know hammer fisting you from the bottom on the ground he could still knock you out which a lot of us didn't even know was possible uh, very very rare type of ko that price scored in his last fight so you know, I don't think that Means will be looking for any offensive wrestling in this one. I think if anyone's initiating the offensive ra uh, grappling in this one, it will be Price. You know, he will probably not like the way that things are going on the feed, and, he, and he'll look for, you know, a different route on the ground, which, honestly, I think he will have more success with. I think that Price, you know, if he tries to, you know, throw power blitz shots on the feet without much defense, and he's going to get picked apart by Means, I don't know if he'll get necessarily finished because Means doesn't have an insane amount of power. I think he'll most likely just get picked apart to a decision. But, uh, you know, Price could be, uh, you know, looking for that takedown if he doesn't like things on the feet, and maybe, maybe he can, you know, get on top and win rounds but i don't know man tim means is really solid on the ground i just really i really think that he will uh, be okay if the fight gets to the ground he'll be solid defensively on the ground and i think he'll excel on the feet in this fight so you know maybe price rocks means with some you know heavy uh heavy shot and a, and a crazy exchange or something like that but otherwise i think the means will win this fight via decision just you know outstriking uh, price on the feet using that uh sell that jab that high output you know spamming leg kicks and uh, you know just winning this fight with, with landing the harder shots on the feet so the pick is going to be tim dirty bird means
Next fight is also in the welterweight division. We have Iletsu Zaleski Dos Santos, who is 20-5, taking on Curtis Melender, who is 17-3. The betting line for this one opened up Melender as the minus 125 favorite, Zaleski Dos Santos as the minus 115 underdog, but pretty much even money in this matchup man uh you know a great opening line in this one i can't can't disagree with it one bit these guys are just so evenly matched they're they're you know uh you know almost mirrors of one another the biggest difference between the two is i say zaleski just has a, a much more solid ground game uh melender's ground game is is, is atrocious um not hit not you know over exaggerating one bit he has no takedown defense he's got no get up skills he's got no jujitsu skills however he knows this he doesn't try to do too much so if he gets taken down he's very good at staying you know defensive not wasting energy not really trying to get up to his feet you know that's that's a good and a bad thing you know we it's a you know, we saw him get taken down against Max Griffin in the first round of their fight. He, like I said, stayed tight defensively, didn't give up any submissions, and didn't really try to get up to his feet, just conserve energy. And then he was able to, you know, stuff takedowns and win the striking exchanges of rounds two and three and win that decision. We saw him get taken down by C.R. Badrizar in his most recent fight. Same thing, conserve energy, stay tight defensively, and was able to, you know, uh, ride out round two, maybe losing that round, uh, and then, you know, get right back up in round three with that, with still having that speed, still having that power. So let's get on to where these guys shine, and that is their striking, man. Both of these guys are powerful, flashy, technical, fast strikers. I think Melender is actually going to be the faster striker in there. You know, Zaleski throws with a little more, uh, you know, a little more style he likes throwing more spins more flying techniques um want more unorthodox techniques you know his nickname is capoeira comes from a capoeira background the crazy brazilian striking art melender is you know from a more kickboxing background where he's just straight technical and fast man his jabs are lightning fast his his right hand is, is super fast he's you know a very uh, gr really good uh, orthodox striker he's got good body kicks he throws that nasty oblique kick that john jones throws he's, he can throw head kicks he can throw nasty spinning kicks He's got good cardio, Curtis Melender does. You know, we saw in the third round, uh, even even after he got taken down by uh, C.R. Badarizara and was throwing his punches with some ill intent the entire fight, he still had that speed and he still had that accuracy and power in the third round to rock C.R. with his shots. And, you know, he just carries that, that cardio very well. You know, I'd say Zaleski, on the other hand, is, you know, a little bit more questionable with the, with the cardio. We actually really haven't seen him go to the decision as much as Melender has. Uh, Melender only has three fights in the UFC so far. He was able to finish Thiago Alves with some knees uh, back last September, I want to say. Maybe maybe two Septembers ago. Who knows? Um and uh, he picked up that win against uh, Max Griffin, and uh, that he made his debut in February. So, you know, three wins in 2018, a very impressive debuting year for uh, Curtis Melender. But Zaleski Dos Santos also had a very impressive 2018, picking up two flashy knockouts. Uh, you know, Sean Strickland was able to knock him out with a spinning hook kick and then knocked out Luigi Vendermini with a flying knee. Uh, later that year man so like i said these guys are, are streaking right now they're both on, on hot win streaks they both are you know uh, extremely technical powerful strikers 
it's going to be a bitch to pick who is going to win this fight. Honestly, I'm, I still really haven't, you know, picked a side on it. Uh, you know, I think that even though, even you know how great they, uh, I haven't, I haven't mentioned Zaleski's uh, stri striking attributes. So he is, uh, you know, also, you know, very, like I said, very similar to Melender. He's got great striking. Um, you know, he's got, uh, you know, good kicks. He's, he throws well. I think he throws with a little more power than Melender. Uh, Melender's more speed. Zaleski's uh, a little more power. Uh, both of these uh, gentlemen's problems is that they can get they can get taken down while going for those uh, those flashy attacks. So. You know, uh, I think it will cancel out in this fight because I think neither of them are really looking to grapple. Maybe Zaleski is looking to grapple if he doesn't like how things are going on the feet. I don't think Melender has really much offensive grappling, uh, you know, abilities to him. Uh, you know, Zaleski, on the other hand, I think has the better jujitsu and the better wrestling skills. So if he, if he chooses to get this fight to the floor, I think that he, he will be able to do that. And I think that that's something you will have to, you know, look out for because, Zaleski knows he's you know a great powerful striker. He loves striking. He loves getting in brawls. But he also knows he's also a very smart fighter. And he is you know could see that Melender has that weakness on the ground, that huge glaring weakness on the ground, and he might choose to expose it. So you know that's I I think I'm gonna have to favor Zaleski a little bit because I think that he can win this fight standing or he can win this fight on the ground. I think that you know uh, both of these gentlemen are hittable. You know I think that, you know neither of them have perfect defense. You know both of them have gotten gotten tagged in their recent fights but they both use their you know their great knowledge of the distance control and they both use their output uh you know the, the popping out jabs or popping out kicks constantly as their you know main striking defense you know so this fight is going to be super super interesting you know it, this fight could end at either moment for either gentleman you know landing that heavy uh high kick or landing those heavy punches and you know putting each other out or it could be a really competitive striking decision uh zaleski could mix it up and look to make it a grappling fight and which in which he would probably uh succeed and win the decision that way or they could you know bang it out on the feet you know make it a really competitive uh split decision type of fight I think it has the the best chance of playing out like that. It being you know a fifteen minute war going back and forth. You know either it could go either way. But like I said, because Zaleski has that that grappling in his back pocket, if he chooses to do so, uh, that's why I gotta favor him in this one. So is is he the favorite or is he the dog in this one? Uh, he's a uh, plus one hundred right now. So yeah, I mean I don't think I'll bet on this one because it's just too close to call. I think I'll sit back and just enjoy the uh, you know these guys' technique and how great they are at striking. So this one's gonna be. Uh, you know a great great fight it possibly could be the best matchup on the card and moving on to the main event of the evening we have Derek the Black Beast Lewis who is 21 and 6 taking on Junior Dos Santos who is 20 and 5 the betting line for this one opened up Dos Santos as the minus 145 favorite to Derek Lewis as the plus 105 dog Right now, we see Dos Santos as the minus 200 favorite, Lewis up to plus 170, so a lot of money coming in on Junior Dos Santos' way. I, uh, you know, I, I would say I, I agree with it. However, I would never bet against Junior Dos or against uh, Derek Lewis. I just don't. I, there's something. There's something weird about it. You know, I, I bet on Alex Volkov. You know, I uh, did the tape. You know, knew Volkov was a bad matchup. Knew that he was going to pick. Uh, Black Beast apart at the feet, which you know, which Junior Dos Santos should do on paper too. But Derek Lewis is a freaky motherfucker, man. He has has been losing so many fights, and he just pulls that knockout out of his ass. He's had that those round three finishes so many times. 
You know, he was plus 800 live or something like that versus Alex Volkov, and he still knocked him out in the last 30 seconds of their fight, man. He's just a freak of nature. He just throws with, you know, pure power. He's got, you know, good ground and pound. He's got solid cardio, you know. He um, he doesn't really throw much output, but he's more of a, he selects his shots, and, you know, he throws power with every single strike. Lewis's ground game is definitely his weakness. You know, we've seen him, you know, taken down before. Uh, you know, sometimes he, his his technique can also be a little bit of a problem too. When he's facing guys who are popping jabs in your face and you know leg kicking you and you know teep kicking you, he he has problems with that. But w what you did against Volkov against Tybura, but he just finds a way to close that distance when like right when you think you haven't beat, right when you think you won 14 to 15 minutes and you're on your way to winning a decision, he explodes in with some power and he knocks you out so that's what i think can happen in this fight even though junior dos santos is the more technical striker he's got the much technical more technical boxing the better defense i'd say even better cardio the better output i you know lewis is still dangerous at every second of this fight you know junior dos santos actually might have been losing that fight against uh tied to Yavasa, but then he was able to clip to Yavasa in the second round and then pound him out for the TKO win in that one. So Junior DeSantis can fight a couple different ways. If he wants to, he can stand and bang and, you know, try to get you out of there quick like he did against Tayavusa, or he can fight smart, conservative, you know, technical, like he did against Ivanov, like he did against Rothwell, like he's done against a lot of guys. So you know, Dos Santos is the much more, you know, agile, you know, the much better, better uh, mixed martial artist. You know, he's I I. I'd say he's a little bit past his prime. You know, he's been fighting for a long time. He's had his ups and downs. I mean, right now he's definitely on uh, on his ups. He's looked good in his, pa his past couple fights. But, uh, you know, J Derek Lewis, I think, is, you know, he's, uh, I'd say he's closer to the athletic prime of his career. You know, he's always having those back problems. But still, I think he's still super dangerous. You know, if I have to go with a pick, I would lean Junior Dos Santos in this one. But value on the betting line is definitely all over the Black Beast uh, at pl plus 170. So, like I said, gun to my head, uh, pick who's going to win. I'm going to go with Junior DeSantos. But the, the value is definitely on Lewis. And I think this one should be uh, you know, a pretty exciting fight. So that is going to do it for the uh, Wichita, Kansas breakdown. You know, hell of a fight to have a UFC the first time in Kansas, I'm sure, for the UFC. But we had a 13-fight card. The fight's, uh, you know, going to be pretty good. You know, we uh, I think that look out for the, the, the welterweight division, man. All I think all three of the closest matchups in this fight on this fight card are in the welterweight division: Rocco Martin and Marias, Nico Price and Tim Means and Zaleski and Melender. So this one's going to be great. Also, I think Smoka Schnell has you know really great potential written all over it. Looking forward to see uh, Grant Dawson making his UFC debut, and uh, looking forward to see the the comeback of uh, Ben Rothwell. So we got a pr uh, pretty solid card going down this Saturday. Kicks off at 5 p.m. Uh, like I said, very interesting start time. Make note of that. I'm, I think the main card will probably start at uh, eight, maybe nine. Who knows? Um, so, uh, with that being said, we're just going to quickly recap the UFC 235 pay-per-view that went down this past weekend. And, you know, this was a very, very eventful pay-per-view. It left you with a lot of conversations, a lot of discussion to be had afterward. I kind of had the urge to, you know, uh, sit down in front of the mic and, you know, uh, record my thoughts the, the couple days before or the couple days after the pay-per-view. But I'm kind of glad I let, let it brew for a while, let, you know, all of the, the, 
the out the events that happened you know let them uh, soak in my memory for a little bit and you know see how i really feel about these things so we'll get into the more juicy events that happened in the fight and towards the later of the card for sure but starting things off hannah cyphers coming through as that underdog you know predicted on the program last week you know we knew cyphers was a, a huge huge live dog at over two to one her points handicap line, her decision, you know, I hit all of it. Hannah Cyphers, you know, coming through as one of my biggest wins in a while. I love that girl. Um, you know, uh, she really fought hard in this one. I believe she won round one and three in this fight and, you know, fought hard, looked good. Uh, boxing looked sharp. Uh, power looked uh, pretty good. We uh, next fight we had Macy Chasson run through Gina Manze, TKOing her around two minutes into that fight. Just a nasty blitz, uh, blitzkrieg from Chasson. You know, throwing some heavy shots at Manze, eventually knocking her out pretty brutally. You know, as brutal as it gets for a women's MMA fight, honestly. Next fight, Charles Bird shot in for a takedown on Edmund Shabazian when Shabazian hit him with some nasty elbows to the back of the head and TKO'd him in just 38 seconds. Really impressive performance from the 21-year-old Shabazian in that one, and Bird, man, really shit the bed in that one. Diego Sanchez, the, the veteran, picking up the TKO win, his first stoppage win in a decade or something like that over Mickey Gall. Another huge underdog performance we, uh, pr we predicted on the program last week. Points handicapped, uh, you know, inside the distance, money line, all of it. Diego Sanchez, you know, coming through with another big win. You know, we, we knew that uh, Gall was an overhyped prospect. We knew that Sanchez had great sub defense. You know, we knew that he just beat a, you know, a young lanky grappler uh, in his last fight, and he did the exact same thing. Got on top, ran down that ground and pound, and got the stoppage. You know, it was it was amazing seeing. The veteran pick up his first, uh, his first uh, finish in you know a decade, and you know we saw it happen and so clearly, and it came to fruition. So that's what we do tape for Diego Sanchez and Hannah Cyphers coming through as big uh, two to one underdogs. In that, uh, I, I got Diego Sanchez at two eighty five. You know, one of the highest money lines I've hit in a while. So. Cody Stammen, you know, Alejandro Perez defeating him via decision. Really underwhelming fight, honestly. I think I was cooking during this fight, so, uh, you know, I didn't really get too much of a, a solid feel from it. I just, you know, uh, Perez really just didn't look, you know, he always looked a little lackadaisical. Sometimes he'll push the pace and look to brawl. Sometimes he'll look <clears throat> really, uh, you know, lackluster, and that's what he did tonight, or, the, uh, excuse me, last Saturday night. Uh, Johnny Walker came out there flying knee Misha Serkinov and put him away uh, 36 seconds into this fight man just incredible performance from Walker you know that he just continues to pull out these crazy victories with that crazy power in the first minute or two of the fight all three of his UFC victories coming by way of knockout in the first you know two minutes so you know everyone's looking looking to see what's next for Johnny Walker but the, my man's hurt his his shoulder celebrating his post uh post fight uh victory something you never want to see but you know at least it didn't come during the fight he tried to do the worm and he like dislocated his shoulder so we'll uh we'll have to see how bad the shoulder is i heard that it's you know he, he i think he has to do four weeks of rehab or something like that so you know not the worst injury but it's definitely an injury that he'll have to deal with before he fights next but next fight we had zabit magomed sharapov defeat uh jeremy stevens you know i was going on about this fight i probably talked about it for six or seven minutes last week but you know honestly i think the fight was a little underwhelming i don't think zabit looked as sharp as he did in his previous fights you know it's probably because his his level of competition was uh skyrocketed this this fight 
you know, Jeremy Stevens, definitely the best opponent he's ever fought. And it definitely showed, uh, you know, uh, Stevens was able to steal one of the rounds and, you know, make it a close uh, competitive fight. And, you know, Zabit, um, you know, what looked a little more humane in this fight. I don't really have a too, you know, crystal clear memory of how the fight went down. But like I said, I was, you know, uh, Stevens, you know, almost almost won this fight, honestly. I think that, you know, the people were talking about a nut shot in excuse me, in round one that, you know, fucked up the momentum of the fight, you know, Stevens was, you know, had the momentum going, and then Zabid hit him with a, a kick to the, uh, to the groin, you know, but I don't really see it as being a problem, you know, uh, Zabit, you know, the, the kick hit the leg, and then glanced up and hit the cup, so it was clearly, clearly unintentional from Zabit, you know, and, uh, you know, like to look to, like to see him, uh, fight against, uh, Yair Rodriguez next, Next fight, the best fight on the card uh, by far, I think. Pedro Munoz versus Co Cody Garbrandt. Um, Pedro Munoz knocked out Cody Garbrandt four minutes and fifty-one seconds into this fight. Just a crazy barn burner of a fight. Started off a little slow. Started off feeling each other out for the first three minutes, and then uh, there was a little bit of a clash of heads, a headbutt. And after that, both guys decided to start swinging, man. You know, they both hurt each other for periods of time. Munoz hurt G Cody first, had uh, Cody knocked down or had him down. Cody bounced back to his feet and threw a flying knee and started winging punches at Munoz and maybe even hurt Munoz, had Munoz backing up for a little bit. It just, it looked like Garbrandt was desperate. He got hit with that headbutt and he was desperately looking for, you know, a knockout. He was winging shots while Munoz looked like he knew he was in a brawl. But he was calculated. He he knew, um, he knew what was coming. He knew what had to you know uh, to be a little bit defensive. He knew he had to you know couldn't throw a defense completely to the wind. He still had to stay solid, stay technical, and you know pick the right shots, which he did, man. You know picking that right hand, he hit Cody with two hard right hands that floored Cody. Eventually following up with some TK with some uh, ground and pound score in the TKO victory from Munoz, man. Cody Garbrandt getting caught with the exact same punch. You know, he loads up on his own right hand, leaves himself wide open for a counter right hand, and gets blasted. He got blasted by Dillshaw in the first fight. In the second round, he got blasted uh, in the first round of their last fight. And then in the first round of the Munoz fight, he gets blasted with that same exact punch. You know, it's, you know, where do you go from here, Cody Garbrandt, former champion? and But he gets caught in the exact same manner without making any improvements you know, uh, getting knocked out three fights in a row. You know, anybody who is uh, his his friend, his coach, his anything should be ashamed. The fact that you let a guy get caught like that's like getting rear naked choked three times in a row. Like, how many times is it gonna tell? Is it gonna take for you to learn some solid defense? And it seems like it's just not really in Cody's nature. It seems like he had that one outlier. You know, he looked good coming up in the UFC, knocking out you know Marcus Brimage and. Uh, you know, a couple guys, you know, Thomas Almeida. But then he had that one outlier performance where he looked like a calm, cool, calculated striker against uh, Dominic Cruz, was, you know, fought five rounds, fought smart, was knocking Cruz down. And, uh, you know, that's like I said, it seems like an outlier performance. You know, after that, losing by knockout in the same fashion, three fights in a row, pretty much, you know, inexcusable for a championship level fighter. If he hasn't fixed it after the, the after he got knocked out twice in a row, he's not fucking fixing it, man. I hate to break it to you that that will, that will be Cody Garbrandt's Achilles heel for the rest of his career, his boxing defense and his chin. It's pretty much irreversible at this point. And you think you you would think that it's 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 you know oh no he he uh, three in a row he has to learn now, 
dude, if he didn't learn after he got knocked out in the same the same manner twice, he ain't fucking learning after the fourth time or after the third time. So Cody Garbrandt, man, I, I'd say they give him a real easy tune-up fight. Luke Sanders, Brian Kelleher, somebody like that. But honestly, man, his his ceiling is set. Um, you know, I don't expect much more out from from him from the rest of his career. I think he'll probably get uh, lose his next fight if they give him anybody in the top fifteen. Rob Font, any of those guys, they will eat Cody a lot alive. I think you should give Cody a really easy fight like Sergio Pettis or like I said Kelleher. Luke Sanders, get his feet back in the water, protect your asset of Cody, you know, the 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 flashy guy with a million followers with all the cool tattoos. Uh, you know, you got to protect that. So uh, moving on, next fight, we had Willie Tsang defeat uh, Tisha Torres, you know, a very impressive performance from her. It looked very solid on the feet, solid on the ground, uh, you know, winning that uh, victory, uh, de- defeating Tisha Torres by decision, you know, 30-27 on two cards. You know, Jessica Andrade couldn't even do that to Tisha Torres. So um, the only person who could do that was uh, Joanna. So uh, Willie Thang is uh, certainly legit, and we should be looking out for her in the near future. Uh, next fight, we had Ben Askren defeat Robbie Lawler via a bulldog choke um, in the three minutes and 20 seconds of the first round. You know, crazy, crazy fight. This one started, you know, the fight started. Askren looking to close the distance, go for that takedown. And Robbie Lawler picks him up and slams him on his head with like a WWE suplex type thing. I thought Ben Askren was out. Robbie Lan- Robbie Lawler landed some nasty follow-up ground and pound. I really thought Askren's UFC career was over before it started. And, uh, you know, he was able to, you know, uh, clear, uh, you know, hold on to Robbie, uh, get back to his feet, get a takedown of his own and start, you know, dictating the pace of his fight. You know, after he was almost finished a few minutes later, he showed incredible grit, incredible heart and incredible chin. The fact that he was able to withstand all that and then, you know, end up starting to win the, the, the round after that. Eventually ended up in a bulldog choke type position, which is a really weird type of choke. Not too common in MMA. You know, Robbie Lawler's hand was on Ben Askren's shoulder, and then his hand drops down like it goes totally limp. That was the indicator right there. Rob, you know, Herb Dean, everybody was watching. You know, Joe Rogan said, he's out. I, I was screaming, he's out. Um, you know, I, I, people thought Lawler was out. So Herb Dean shakes Robbie Lawler's arm. And after that, Robbie Lawler seems to seems to you know he he fights the arm. He he his arm is there. He gives a thumbs up. But Herb is you know he saw the arm drop. He doesn't know what's going on. He thinks Robbie is out. He stops the fight. It was definitely a bad stoppage. You know Robbie his arm was definitely resisting. Uh, you know, Herb was touching his arm and he was, you know, pulling. He was, you know, he could definitely tell that Robbie was there if you rewatch the clip. But the way that Robbie Lawler's arm dropped, man, it looked like he was out. You know, uh, if if Herb Dean would have stopped it the second after his arm hit the canvas, it would have been a good stoppage. But the fact that he he shook his arm and it looked like Robbie Lawler was there for a second made it a bad stoppage. You know, it, this was an interesting fight, you know, because Askren, you know, could the fight could have been stopped when Askren was getting ground and pounded. The fight could have been stopped when, when uh, you know, Lawler's hand dropped, but neither happened. It was stopped at a really unfortunate time. You know, a lot of controversy around the fight. Lawler, you know, protested for a few minutes, but or for a few seconds, and then, you know, kind of just accepted the fact, you know, was really apologetic to Herb. Herb looked really confused in the cage. He looked really upset with himself. He looked like he didn't really know what happened after the fact. He was, you know, pissed off. He was like, oh, man, I can't believe I did this. You know, he definitely didn't have any, you know, 
he didn't have any dog in the fight. He wasn't, you know, rooting for uh, Ben Askren to win. He just, you know, saw that arm go limp and, you know, was put in a difficult difficult spot. What I think happened, I think Askren went out. Or, I mean, I think Lawler went out. I think Askren, you know, has got that insane wrestling squeeze, been wrestling for 20 years type squeeze. He squeezed Lawler. Lawler's hand dropped. He went out for a second. And right when he did, I think Askren started to loosen up the choke. Right when, right when Herb was in his face, Right when Herb was touching the arm, he definitely loosened up that grip. And, you know, right, you know, Lawler was out for, I think, a second. He was, you know, he was squeezing, squeezing. His hand dropped. He, you know, if he would have, if, if Askren would have kept squeezing as hard as he could for two more seconds, Lawler would have been out cold. But I think he saw that hand drop and then he kind of loosened up the grip and that allowed Robbie to not go fully unconscious. But I think, I think Lawler was out. I think, you know, he went out for a few seconds and then. Uh, like I said, Askren loosened up the grip and then Lawler regained consciousness before he went fully out cold. So, unfortunate stoppage. I don't really see much of a point in a rematch. I think that there are better fights for both gentlemen to have and I think the, the, the UFC should not pursue a rematch. So, uh, moving on to the welterweight title fight. Kamara Usman, new champion, outclassing Tyron Woodley. 50-44 on two judges' scorecards, 50-45 on one judges' scorecards. Let me tell you something. There were two 8-10-8 rounds in this fight, no doubt. I think it was the second and the fourth round. Kamara Usman just completely beat the brakes off Tyron Woodley on them. He put the pace on and he was taking him down. He mounted him. He grapevined him. He smothered Tyron Woodley. He took the champ down. He smothered him. He, you know, he outpaced him. He out uh, outputted him. He, you know, he beat him in all aspects of, of MMA. You know, it was a very impressive performance from Kamara Usman. You know, really sold me on the legitimacy of Kamara Usman as a, as a martial artist. You know, he had that plus 170 price tag, something like that next to his name. It seems crazy thinking back on it because you know it was a really favorable matchup for him you know he likes pushing people against the cage winning fights against the cage tyron willie has a tendency to put his back against the cage you know counter strike or you know lure people into a low output type of fight or you know try to stuff shots against the cage like he did against Dami maya wasn't able to do any of that and you know he usman was able to dictate where this fight was taking place put the cardio on woodley you know, Woodley looked, you know, you know, something was wrong. You know, I'm not going to say Woodley was off. You know, I, I don't think anything was wrong with Woodley. I don't think Woodley really respected Usman. I think he was going to go in there and blast Usman. It wasn't going to be too much of a challenge. When you saw Usman blast that takedown on Woodley and Tywin Woodley, one of the best fight IQs in the in mixed martial arts, tried to jump guillotine on Kamara Usman, you knew something was off. Um, you know, some I knew something was off. I I, I was talking about it with my friends live uh, on you know Discord. I said, man, that ju him jumping guillotine is the dumbest thing that Woodley has done in years in the cage. That was a bad bad sign because you know he he really didn't have any moments of success. Woodley, he you know was you know he was dominated from bell to bell. Twenty five minutes of domination, getting his belt taken, getting mounted, getting grapevine, getting embarrassed. You know, it was a really humiliating performance. I'd say from Woodley. No, no shame against it. I mean, Usman it really showed he's got some of the best, best takedowns, best pressure, best cardio, best top pressure of anybody in the UFC right now. Like you know, really, really special post-fight interview from Kamara Usman. Like I said, was not too sold on the guy. Didn't really like his attitude or whatnot. But you know, he brought his daughter in the cage. He had his daughter with him. He said, you know, baby, I wanted, I want you to remember this moment for the rest of your life. 
and that was you know really special you know we see a lot of you know special moments between fighters and their family but i don't think i've ever seen you know the fighter holding his daughter in, in his arms and making a point and saying you know this this is I, I did this for you you know i want you to look back on this you know 20 30 40 50 years from now and show this to you know your kids grandkids and show you know your dad grandfather winning that world championship beating the the champion you know beating the the undisputed incumbent champion, the guy who had defended his belt for multiple times, and Usman went out there and absolutely demolished him. One of the best title fight performances in UFC history. So, like I said, I'm totally sold on Usman now. I would definitely respect the guy. Can't wait. For, uh, uh, Tyron Woodley's not getting a rematch. 100%. Tyron Woodley, never been a UFC type guy. You know, the UFC and him never really got along. You know, he never really had the most exciting fights. He never really sold too many pay-per-view buys. He always had a little bit of a feud with Dana White. There is zero fucking chance he gets a, a a rematch at the title. Especially the fact that he got beat 25 minutes to zero. There was not a second of this fight that Tyron Woodley won. So, you know, it's pretty hard to make a rematch in that one. When there's a fast knockout, it's a quick, you know, the guys had back and forth like Cody, uh, you know, Cody TJ or CJ or TJ Cejudo. I can see a, a reason for a reason for a rematch. But when a guy gets beat, outclassed, you know, tw 25 minutes, bell to bell, there's no need for a rematch. It's going to be a tough road for for Woodley to get back to the uh, to the title. But, you know, we got a bright future ahead at welterweight. Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington is going to be a hell of a matchup. Two of the best wrestlers, the best cardios, the best, you know, pressure from anybody we see in the UFC are going to be going at one of an one another. It's going to be bombs away. And we all know... Um, a lot of animosity building between those two gentlemen. It's going to be a, you know, a great one. Uh, that's going to be enough said about that one. We're going to move on to the main event. John Jones, the greatest mixed martial artist of all time, defeated Anthony Smith 48-44. That's not a scorecard you see too much. You know, John Jones did win this uh, the fight five rounds to zero. Um, maybe one was a 10-8, but he uh, landed a <clears throat> an illegal knee to Anthony Smith in round four. You know, interesting. John Jones threw, I think, a soccer kick that was really close to landing, and he threw an illegal knee to a downed opponent where he was ducted, deducted two points for, you know, intentionally throwing an illegal strike. I don't think it was a dirty move. I don't think he really disliked, you know, Anthony. I think that he got caught up in the moment and, you know, threw uh, a strike, um, an illegal strike. But, you know, he fought safe. It looked like in the first round, it looked like Jones was swinging for the fences, trying to you know get Smith out of there. And he's like, you know what, fuck this. I'm just gonna fight smart, fight for, uh, fight. You know, like I said, smart, technical for 25 minutes and just outclass this guy, which is exactly what he did. You know, Smith, you know, was known as a powerful heavy hitter who blitzes forward. You know, he he didn't do that for a second. In this fight, Jones just shut him down, kept him at distance, was using that push, uh, was using his kicks, his jab, everything looked on point from from John Jones as usual. And, you know, John Jones is going to be active this year. He wants to be active, fight a bunch of times. Let's let's get another fight going right away. Thiago Santos is clearly the next guy in line, coming off of three knockouts in a row at since moving up to light heavyweight. He is, uh, you know, I really like that, that matchup, honestly. We'll talk about it, of course, uh, when the fight is made. I think it seems to be next. Dana White wants to fight next. The only thing that would stop it is, you know, Jones versus Cormier or Jones versus Lesnar at heavyweight or something like that. So I think that uh, Jones versus... Uh, Santos is next, and I really can't wait for that fight. But, you know, really solid pay-per-view of UFC 235. Uh, you know, I feel like I've been talking a mile a minute for, you know, an hour and a half now. So that's definitely going to conclude the program. We we previewed, analyzed, and predicted the UFC Wichita uh, 
card going down this Saturday night, and we analyzed and recapped the UFC 235 pay-per-view. So that is going to do it for this uh, edition of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This has been episode 52 of Martian MMA, and I will see you guys next week before UFC London. Peace. Peace.